0: It's Mariah and Steve, co-hosts of Swing Left's How We Win podcast. Two years ago, with your help, Democrats won the trifecta in Virginia. The election to keep Virginia blue is on November 2nd, and actually early voting has already started. We're asking you to go to swingleft.org and help us win again. If we get voters fired up and turned out, we'll keep Virginia blue. We can't let the GOP win. A Republican victory would move Virginia backwards, and it would dramatically weaken Democrats' chances in the midterms. Go to swingleft.org slash Virginia, and you can help us win. No matter where you live, you can make an impact. You can join a virtual phone bank, write letters to voters, and donate to the races that need the money the most. Let's show the GOP that we will not stop fighting for our democracy. Go to swingleft.org slash Virginia and sign up to volunteer. That is how we win. Hey, all, this is Glenn Kirshner, and you're listening to Mueller, She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, our position is. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello and welcome to Muller, She Wrote. I'm your host, Alison Gill, the artist formerly known as A.G., Smashing the Crotch Act, otherwise known as Smashing the Hatch Act. We're just going to open right up with some inside jokes that most people won't understand unless they've been listening for four years. Um, I Yeah, and you know what else is really cool is that Probably 99.9% of people listening to this show will understand my next sentence because the first thing that we're going to be uh, talking about in the opening lines here, in the opening headlines, and the last thing we're going to talk about in the show is that we have a response from Sussman's lawyers about the weak sauce Durham indictment as part of his Oranges investigation. And I know that you get what I am you know, I, that you get me when I say that, those words. Uh, we have a very interesting sabotage for you right before the Fantasy Indictment League. Um, there's some breaking news out of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And we have new house oversight findings on a Trump loan from Deutsche Bank. Um, we have an update on the Middle East Marshall Plan, which we haven't talked about um, since I think, well, we've mentioned it a few times. But uh, Episode 6, Season 1, The Kitchen Table Days. Um, the the Marshall Plan episode, I, I recommend you, you take a listen to it. You have to go way back in the archives to find it. I think it came out. I think it came out in January of 2018. That's how old it is. But you'll want to give it a listen there. And also, if you're interested, I'm on the latest episode of the Prevail podcast with Greg Oliar. So scoot on over and check that out if you get a minute. Also, I've confirmed that beginning November 7th, the MSW Book Club will be covering Here, Right Matters. And Colonel Vindeman, the author, has agreed to answer patrons' questions on the final episode of that series. So order your copy today. Here, right matters, and also order your copy of Mary Trump's Reckoning. Um, it's very, very good. We're covering that right now on the MSW Book Club, uh, and we're starting up our Patrons Helping Patrons program again. So for just thirty-six bucks, you can buy a one-year premium subscription of these all three of our, uh, these podcasts: the Mueller, She Wrote, MSW Book Club, and The Daily Beans for just 36 bucks, Um, you you can get it for somebody who maybe can't afford to swing it right now. So to give back or to sign up to receive a donated subscription, head to dailybeanspod.com, scroll down to the main page, on the bottom of the main page, and look for the Patrons Helping Patrons link. And uh, before we jump in today, uh, we have some uh, breaking news that is not Mueller related, NMR, as they call it. Texas's six-week abortion ban is at least temporarily back in effect as of Friday night. After a federal appeals court, Fifth Circuit paused the lower court district court order from earlier this week that had halted the enforcement of the law. Uh, the order from the three-judge panel in the U.S. Court of Appeals for Fifth Circuit granting what's known as an administrative stay is not permanent. The court will now decide whether to grant Texas's request for a longer-term hold that would keep the law, SB-8, in effect, while the state appeals its loss to the district court. The circuit ordered the Justice Department to respond by Tuesday, 5 p.m. Central Time, we will see if the Department of Justice goes directly to SCOTUS with this, and how the conservative SCOTUS will act, considering their inconsistent shadow docket. We've talked about that with Steve Ladek on this program on On the Beans. Um, all right, we have a lot of uh, news to get to, so let's jump in with just the facts. All right, first up, Dick Bag Corey Lewandowski is back in the news. He was basically a Trump donor has told police that she felt threatened by Corey Lewandowski when he allegedly told her that he once stabbed a man in the back of the head and killed him. (laughs) Trashel Odom, who is married, said in a police report that Lewandowski told her he grew up in a bad part of Boston and has killed people while he was seated next to her at a charity event in Los Angeles. He, he told her this, seated next to her at the charity event. He didn't kill people sitting seated next to her at the charity event. This past September 26th, very recently, Lewandowski also told Trash L, this isn't just a chef's kiss of a name, that he stabbed someone over and over again when he was 10 years old, killing the person. He allegedly bragged about his sexual prowess and then showed her his hotel room key. He was staying next door to her suite where she was staying with her sister and children. She told the police Lewandowski's behavior made her fear for her safety. He also allegedly touched her multiple times. Um, So that's Corey for you, and I'm not surprised. Next up in the news, Flynn, Flynn, Michael Flynn is back in the news. Um, The former general and a former Trump advisor who thinks companies may be putting COVID vaccines in salad dressings, by the way, allegedly received a total of $200,000 in undisclosed secret payments in 2014 and 2015 for consulting, he did, on a plan to build 40 nuclear power plants in the Middle East. That's the Marshall Plan, Middle East Marshall Plan. The nuclear power plan, which never came to fruition, would have involved companies in the U.S., French, uh, Canada, I guess they mean France, uh, and Russia, constructing and managing nuclear plants in Arab nations. That's according to spy talk a site run by a national security reporter, Jeff Stein, and the paper reported that an audit of a Dutch, a Dutch company sp- uh, specializing in transport revealed the payment to Flynn. A little background, if you need it. Flynn came to the White House as Trump's national security advisor in early 2017, quickly resigned in disgrace or fired was fired <laughs> in February uh, after lying to the FBI about his interactions with then Russian ambassador to the US, Sergei Kislyak. And it's interesting because I pulled up this reporting from Rolling Stone, and I've already found two mistakes in their reporting. Um, As you know, uh, he also worked as a lobbyist and a consultant to Turkey's government with Bijan Kian. Robert Mueller's team filed charges against Flynn. He pled guilty to making false statements to the FBI regarding his work for Turkey and contacts with Russia while he served as campaign advisor to Trump in 2016. Trump later issued Flynn a full and unconditional pardon in November of 2020. NRC reported that the $200,000 in payments to Flynn came from a U.S. firm connected to the project called ACU Strategic Partners, which paid him using money it received from MAMOET, according to internal Dutch and U.S. corporate documents that the paper obtained. In 2017, Spy Talk reported in Newsweek that Flynn was involved with the project, working as an unpaid advisor to ACU, despite not disclosing that information on his financial disclosure form or a later amended version of the form either. At that time, officials told Newsweek... That Flynn had been repaid between $10,000 and $15,000 for travel expenses related to his time in the Middle East. The report led investigators uh, by two House committees, investigations in two House committees that found Flynn had not disclosed his meetings with the Middle East officials related to the nuclear project. You remember, we went over that on the Mueller she wrote podcast. According to Spy Talk, which spoke with NRC, who first broke the story, Carola Houtekamer, uh, Flynn did not respond to requests for comment, by the way. These previously unknown payments to Flynn are no small matter. It's crucial that public officials disclose any past business they conducted as paid lobbyists to a foreign company or government. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Especially for a person serving in a position as high-powered as national security advisor. But you remember Sally Yates ran over there, hair on fire, saying, you got to do something about this guy. Especially after his, you know, chats with Kislyak and lying about it. Um, Anyway, transparency is imperative, as we know, which is why disclosure forms and laws exist. Not revealing this information can erode the public's trust and could lead to dangerous national security implications. In another story, NATO on Wednesday expelled eight members of Russia's mission to the military alliance, saying that they were secretly working as intelligence officers and halved the size of Moscow's team able to work at its headquarters. Quote, we can confirm that we have withdrawn the accreditation of eight members of the Russian mission to NATO, who were undeclared Russian intelligence officers. That is according to a NATO official. The official was speaking under customary condition of anonymity and can't be named in public. NATO also reduced the number of positions that Russia can accredit people for at the organization from 20 to 10. No immediate clear explanation was given for the decision, which will take effect at the end of the month. Although, I got to say, Associated Press, no explanation was given for the decision, except in the quote here, they were Russian intelligence officers. (laughs) That seems like a reason to me, Associated Press. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, relations between NATO and Russia have been increasingly strained, as we know, since Moscow annexed Crimea in 2014. The two are at odds over Russia's nuclear missile development, aerial intrusions in, into NATO airspace, and the buzzing of allied ships by fighter planes. Official talks between them have been limited in recent years. NATO's This is a quote. NATO's policy toward Russia remains consistent. We have strengthened our deterrence and defense in response to Russia's aggressive actions, while at the same time we remain open for meaningful dialogue. The main forum for dialogue, the NATO-Russia Council, is stalled. Quote, NATO proposed to hold another meeting of the NATO-Russia Council over 18 months ago, and that proposal stands. The ball is in Russia's court. Leonid Slutsky, the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee in the lower house of Russian parliament, and another chef's kiss of a name, dismissed the accusation against the Russian diplomats as baseless. And warned that NATO's move will further strain relations, meh. Slutsky also told the Interfax news that Moscow could respond with asymmetric retaliatory measures, but he didn't elaborate on what that might be. I think Trashel, Odom, or Trashel should marry Leo Slutsky because there needs to be a Trashel Slutsky in the world, don't you think? We'll be right back with Sabotage. You don't want to miss it today. Hey everybody, it's AG. I've discovered an incredible website you need to take a look at. It's nuts.com. It is the best kept secret of savvy snackers and bakers worldwide. There's an outstanding selection of tasty snacks, first off, available. They have like bourbon pecans, white chocolate toffee cashews, crystallized ginger, honey sesame sticks, every snack you can imagine, and they're very, very good. Nuts.com isn't just for nut lovers, it's your one-stop pantry shop as well. They have a huge variety of stuff, including candies, dried fruits, baking mixes, pasta, and more. Nuts.com is the easiest, most convenient way for me to always have nutritious, tasty, healthy nuts, dried fruit, flowers, grains, and so many other high-quality foods delivered directly to my front door. They have over 4,000 products to choose from, including tasty, healthy, kid-friendly snacks. The dried strawberries are my favorite, honestly, and they have custom trail mixes too, plus all the raw, organic, roasted, salted, and candied nuts you can imagine, even chocolate dipped. Gluten-free and vegan options are available. Nuts.com is a family-run business committed to getting you the freshest food fast fresher than the supermarket, and most orders ship the same day. New Nuts.com customers get free shipping on your first order when you text MULLER, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, to 64000. So text the word MULLER to 64000 to get free shipping on your first order from Nuts.com. Again, that's MULLER to 64000. Terms apply. Available at nuts.com terms. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we have one big damn story that dropped on Friday night like a rock from the Washington Post. And I'm quoting Donald Trump's luxury Washington hotel lost more than $70 million when he was in office despite reaping millions in payments from foreign governments, according to federal documents released by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform on Friday. The committee, chaired by Rep. Carolyn Maloney released hundreds of pages of financial documents on the property Friday that it received from GSA. Remember Emily? Remember GSA Emily? That's the agency that issued the federally owned property to Trump's company. They leased it to Trump since 2013. Trump was required to submit documents to the GSA as a condition of his lease. Maloney and Rep. Gerald Connolly, Democrat of Virginia, alleged the documents show that Trump received an estimated $3.7 million from foreign governments and got preferential treatment From Deutsche Bank, which had previously loaned Trump $170 million to renovate the hotel. And we didn't know that this had happened. The findings raised new and troubling questions about the former guy's lease with the GSA and the agency's ability to manage the former guy's conflicts of interest during his term in office when he was effectively on both sides of the contract as landlord and tenant. Maloney and McConnelly also wrote a 27-page letter Friday to GSA Administrator Robin Carnahan saying the documents warranted further investigation. The Trump Organization called the committee's allegations irresponsible and unequivocally false. Quote, we have been great custodians of this iconic building, continue to have a great relationship with the GSA, and are in full compliance with our leasehold obligations. That is spokeswoman Kimberly Benza. Simply stated, this report is nothing more than continued political harassment in a desperate attempt to mislead the American public and defame Trump in pursuit of an agenda. Yeah, math. Hmm. The committee released documents showing that in 2017, Trump's company told the GSA it would be required to start repaying the principal of its Deutsche Bank loan, not just the interest, in August of 2018, subject to certain conditions outlined in the loan. Paying interest alone, the Trump organization owed an annual mortgage payment between five and seven million dollars. Then, in filing for 2018, Trump's company said no principal would be due until 2024. The financial documents did not give an explanation for the change in the wording. The House Oversight Committee said it did not know why the wording changed. It did not offer a reason for its claim that it was preferred treatment. Benza, the Trump Organization spokeswoman, said the characterization was wrong. At no time did the company receive any preferential treatment from any uh, any lender. She did not offer an explanation for why the wording changed in the agreement. Deutsche Bank also disputed the committee's findings. The committee's letter, quote, makes several inaccurate statements regarding Deutsche Bank and its loan agreement. That's bank spokesman Dan Hunter, who's probably really fun at parties. The Constitution prohibits presidents from taking emoluments. As we know, Trump insisted that this prohibition did not apply to normal business transactions, allowing him to continue renting rooms and ballrooms to foreign states. Democrats filed lawsuits alleging he was wrong, but their cases bogged down and no court ever ruled Trump was in violation of the clause. But his company said it would donate any profits made off foreign government businesses back to the U.S. Treasury. Between 2017 and 2019, the company donated 448000 That's it. The House Oversight Committee used that figure, along with other details about the hotel's revenue and profitability, to estimate that Trump's hotel had received about $3.7 million in payments from foreign governments during those years. But the committee said this figure was not exact, and it was not clear which governments had made the payments. Before Trump entered politics, his Washington Hotel symbolized the ambitions of his chain. The Trump Org converted the historic old post office pavilion into a 263-room palace near the White House and scoffed at rivals who said they paid too much and would never make any money. I mean, we are paying too much for the old post office, Trump said. But we will make that so amazing that at some point in the future, it'll be very nice. (laughs) After Trump won the White House, a hotel came to symbolize something else. The very blurred lines between trump's government and his businesses foreign leaders republican groups companies seeking government approvals the inaugural all crowded into its soaring atrium sometimes they met trump the president and paid trump the businessman all in the same trip interesting but through all that change the documents show the trump hotel lost money even in its best years the hotel was only about 56 percent full Lagging behind its competitors in the DC luxury market. Gosh, nobody in DC likes Trump. That's weird. It lost between 13 million and 22 million every year, requiring constant injections of capital. The documents show that Trump's company poured 24 million from his company coffers to offset losses. It's interesting, right? That Deutsche Bank would loan $170 million to somebody who can't fucking sell a hotel room to renovate the hotel as though that were the problem and then give them principal-free payments until 2024. The financials reveal more about the results of an expansion spree that Trump undertook in the years before he entered politics, shifting his company away from the focus on U.S. golf clubs and merchandising contracts, and adding a string of expensive, high-profile luxury hotels. I'm going to put luxury in quotes. I've seen them. They're not that great. Trump has invested more than $289 million in two golf resorts in Scotland without ever turning a profit. That's according to financial statements filed with the British government. His Doral resort in Florida struggles, according to public filings. The New York Times reported it required Trump to inject more than $213 million in additional funding. In Washington, Trump's company tried to sell the lease for the hotel in 2019. We reported on that as soon as its contract with the GSA allowed it to. Then the company pulled the hotel off the market when COVID hit. Hmm. <laughs> when COVID hit. Interesting. Crushed the hotel business for months. Now Trump's lease is for sale again. Multiple bidders have expressed interest, according to two people familiar with the sale, who spoke on the condition of anonymity. Sheila Johnson, owner of the Salamander Resort and Spa in Middleburg, Virginia, expressed interest in the property last year, but it's unknown whether she's currently pursuing the property. She did not respond to calls and text messages seeking comment. Trump's company has previously floated $500 million as the target price. Industry experts say it's worth well short of that. But top luxury hotel chains are likely to be interested in taking over the property and marketing it to a wider audience than Trump was able to, given his politics. Trump has called investigations into hotel and finances by both Democrats on Capitol Hill and New York prosecutors, politically motivated and without merit. And a spokeswoman for his company did not immediately return requests for comment Friday morning. The GSA also did not immediately respond to requests for comment. And a spokesperson from Deutsche Bank declined to comment. Trump's company spent an estimated $200 million renovating the building into a luxury hotel shortly after Trump entered the White House. The GSA ruled that uh, his company remained in compliance with the lease. And despite a series of lawsuits and congressional hearings launched by Democrats accusing Trump of corruption and constitutional violations, his company was able to maintain control of that hotel. All right, everybody, it's time for sabotage. For today's sabotage, allow me to read to you from a court filing submitted 8 October 2021 in the case of the United States v. Al-Malik Matthew Grimes and Thomas Barrick. Motion and proposed order of withdrawal as counsel of record. Pursuant to local criminal rule 1.1b and local civil rule 1.4, the undersigned respectfully request the withdrawal of Paul Hastings LLP as counsel of record for defendant Tom Barrick Jr., As demonstrated in the accompanying declaration of Farah (laughs) Guberman, Mr. Barrick has requested that Paul Hastings withdraw from this matter. Paul Hastings consents to this withdrawal. Paul Hastings is affirmed, by the way. And respectfully requests that Farah Guberman and Matthew Harrington admitted pro vice, be removed as counsel of record from Mr. Barrick. Respectfully submitted, Farah Guberman, Matthew Harrington, Paul Hastings, LLP as you know, or maybe you didn't know, but I'll tell you, I I have some inside information, some rumors intelligence from a very reliable source, I think, but hasn't been confirmed in public reporting or mainstream media. But I have information that Tom Barrick is cooperating. A change in legal team like this is common when plea agreements are reached. Their work is done. These are also trial lawyers don't need very big expensive trial lawyers if you're not going to trial but I take this as an indication that a plea agreement is imminent but again this is speculation but I will put beans on it I will put my beans all the beans upon it and you don't want to miss the fantasy indictment league after this break where I'll be breaking down the Sussman filing in response to the Durham indictment stay with us hey everybody this segment of the show is brought to you by Aura Despite the dramatic changes in the way people use the internet during the past decade, security tools have largely remained the same. Aura offers complete digital security for your online accounts, finances, devices, and more, all in one easy-to-use app. Aura protects your online finances, personal information, and tech from online threats. It's an all-in-one protection from identity theft, financial fraud, malware, scam sites, and so much more. You'll be alerted to fraudulent activity and threats very quickly with Aura. For example, if your online accounts or passwords are compromised or if someone tried to open a bank account in your name, Aura solutions are easy to set up. All plans come with proactive $1 million ID theft insurance, and you can always get in touch with U.S.-based customer support. Aura is a new type of security service that protects all of your online information and devices with a simple subscription. With one easy online dashboard and alerts sent straight to your phone, Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any issues. For a limited time, Aura is offering you up to 40% off plans when you visit aura.com/msw. That's aura a-u-r-a a-u-r-a.com/msw to get complete protection and savings of up to 40%. Again, aura.com/msw. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted! No, it is going to be okay. Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! They can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! And here it is. We have a reply to the Sussman indictment. As you'll recall, a lawyer for the Clinton campaign in Perkins Coie named Sussman was indicted by Durham, that's the special counsel appointed by Bill Barr, under no authority, by the way, to investigate the origins of the Trump Russia investigation, also known as the oranges. Durham said Sussman materially lied to James Baker at the FBI and two other people at a different agency when he said he was not handing over Alpha Bank information as part of his work on the Clinton campaign or for any other client. I recommend you listen to our reporting on this extremely weak indictment from three weeks ago on this podcast. Called the episode's called "On the Oranges of Specious." <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Um, but let's see. They've responded. Sussman's lawyers have responded, and let's let's see what they have to say. This is uh, in the United States District Court for D.C., District of Columbia, in United States of America v. Sussman, Defendant's Motion for a Bill of Particulars and Memorandum in Support. Defendant Michael A. Sussman. By and through undersigned counsel pursuant to federal rule criminal procedure 7F respectfully moves this court to direct the special counsel, Durham, to provide the defendant with a bill of particulars as set forth below. On September 19, 2016, Sussman, a distinguished national security and cybersecurity partner at Perkins Coie LLP, met alone with James Baker, alone, keyword, the then general counsel of the FBI, to alert him that a major media outlet was about to publish an article about suspicious internet contacts between the Trump organization and a certain Russian bank. Mr. Sussman arranged for this meeting on behalf of his client, a cyber expert, involved in identifying and analyzing relevant data underlying the suspicious internet contacts. And Sussman did so to make the FBI aware of this matter, which raised national security concerns and to ensure the FBI would not be caught off guard when the article was published. Special counsel John Durham now alleges in an indictment filed on September 16, 2021, that Sussman told Mr. Baker he was not meeting with him on behalf of any client at all. At bottom, special counsel has brought a false statement charge on the basis of a purported oral statement made over five years ago for which there is only a single witness, Mr. Baker, for which there is no recording and for which there are no contemporaneous notes by anyone who was actually in the meeting. Not only that, but the special counsel has brought this false statement charge, even though Mr. Sussman has consistently maintained, including in testimony under oath, that he met with Mr. Baker on behalf of the cyber expert client. And even though Mr. Baker has testified under oath in ways that corroborate rather than undermine Mr. Sussman's account, For example, Mr. Baker has testified that he did not remember Sussman specifically saying whether he was meeting on behalf of a particular client, and that what he did remember was that Mr. Sussman met with him because cyber experts had come across suspicious information they wanted brought to the FBI. The indictment is seriously vulnerable to challenge as a matter of law, and Mr. Sussman will make relevant pretrial motions at the appropriate time. Remember how I said they should file a motion to just dismiss the whole case because durham wasn't appointed under any authority because according to special counsel regulations 600.1 a i believe or 600.3 a it says that special counsel shall come from outside the government and durham was working for the government he was u.s attorney anyway back to this response Uh, For now, Mr. Sussman moves for a bill of particulars. While the indictment in this matter is 27 pages long, the majority of the allegations are not relevant to the crime the special counsel has chosen to charge. And on that charge, a single alleged false statement, the indictment plainly fails to provide Mr. Sussman with the detail and clarity that the law requires that is essential in enabling Sussman to prepare his defense, as set forth in greater detail below. Now, it's interesting, they say. Um, the indictment is 27 pages long. The majority of the allegations are not relevant to the crime. That's just sort of like a, hi, I'm going to poke you in the ribs and this is my way of saying this is a fucking political document, not an indictment. That's how I read it anyway. Uh, let's see. First, the indictment fails to allege the precise false statement that Mr. Sussman purportedly made. It is simply not enough for the indictment to make allegations generally about the substance of a purported false statement. Rather, the law requires that special counsel identify the specific false statement made, i.e., the precise words that were allegedly used. It is particularly critical for Mr. Sussman to receive notice of the precise false statement being charged, given that A, the statement is unrecorded, five years old, and witnessed by a single individual only— who has already disclaimed memory of the statement, and B, the indictment itself lacks a single consistent theory about even the substance of the false statement, sometimes suggesting Mr. Sussman said he was not meeting with the FBI on behalf of any client, and other times claiming that Sussman said he was not doing work on the Russia bank issue on behalf of any client. Hmm. Second, the indictment charges only an affirmative misrepresentation in violation of 18 U.S. Code 1001A2, but the indictment also makes confusing and stray allegations about omissions that would ordinarily be the basis of a separate violation of 18 U.S. Code Section 1001A1. This raises, this raises serious questions on which specific crime the counsel intended to charge, a misrepresentation in violation of 18 U.S. Code 1001A2 or an omission violation of A1. Mr. Sussman is entitled to understand which particular crime he must defend himself against without prejudice to any other pretrial motions. They keep repeating that. Mr. Sussman may bring on the matter. Mr. Sussman is entitled to additional particulars regarding the alleged omissions in the indictment, including regarding the legal duty, if any, that required him to disclose the allegedly omitted information the indictment suggests he should have disclosed. Yeah, I, I need to know the law here. What's... What's the legal duty of, d- of that disclosure? Third, the indictment fails to provide adequate particulars regarding the ways in which the alleged false statement was material. The indictment does make several allegations regarding materiality, and yet these allegations are vague, imprecise, and inconsistent, suggesting the FBI might have asked more questions, taken other steps, or allocated resources differently without specifying how or why it would have done so. Leaves Mr. Sussman having to guess about the meaning of the allegations that special counsel has leveled against him. Accordingly, without prejudice to any pretrial motions Mr. Sussman may make regarding materiality, Mr. Sussman requests that the court order the special counsel to provide more detail about why the purported false statement was material. Fourth, the indictment alleges that Mr. Sussman repeated the purported false statement made to Mr. Baker at yet another meeting to two other government agents representing another government agency five months later. But again, the indictment fails to provide particulars to the exact words of the purported statement, the context in which it was made, and why it was made. In addition, the indictment fails to include that there were more than two government agents in the second meeting, and fails to identify all of the government individuals in attendance, and to whom Mr. Sussman allegedly repeated the false statement. Having made these allegations, special counsel must provide further precision in order to allow Mr. Sussman to even begin to decide how to respond appropriately. Fifth and finally, the indictment conceals the actual identity of certain individuals and entities alleged to have witnessed and otherwise been involved in the conduct giving rise to the false statement charge, including the name of the agents and representatives of the campaign on whose behalf Mr. Sussman was allegedly working. The entire animating theory of the special counsel's indictment is that in a meeting with the FBI and another government agency, Sussman was secretly working on behalf of Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign for president. The special counsel should be required to identify with which agents and representatives of the Clinton campaign Mr. Sussman was allegedly working so that he can adequately prepare his defense. Counsel for Mr. Sussman previously asked the special special counsel to provide the detail and particulars identified above, but the special counsel declined. That decision simply cannot be reconciled with the law. Pursuant to the Constitution, Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure... The well-settled case law, Sussman is entitled to understand the charge against him, to prepare his defense and to safeguard against unfair surprises at trial. And then he cites a bunch of case law. Now, here's, here's the part that I wanted you to hear specifically. I'm going to skip ahead here to page 13 for you. Um, I've, gave, I've given you the, the five reasons um, that we, they, they need a bill of particulars here. And then on page 13 in the second paragraph, it says here, however, while the indictment has made several allegations regarding materiality, these allegations are vague, imprecise and inconsistent. Mr. Sussman is again left to guess about what the special counsel means by the allegations leveled against him. Accordingly, without prejudice to any pretrial motion for Mr. Sussman might make regarding materiality, Mr. Sussman requires special counsel to order uh, order to be providing more detail about why the purported false statement was material. The indictment makes allegations about materiality in two separate places. In paragraph five, the indictment alleges Sussman's false statement was material because, quote, among other reasons, Sussman's false statements misled the FBI general counsel and other FBI personnel concerning the political nature of his work and deprived the FBI of information that might have permitted it more fully to assess and uncover the origins of the relevant data and technical analysis. Now, I would like for you to listen to a clip from our show from three weeks ago. Take a listen. So what he's saying here, what Durham is saying is this is a material lie because had they known, had the FBI known he was working for Perkins Coie and this other Internet guy and an Internet company, that information might have permitted the FBI to more fully assess and uncover the origins of the relevant data might have. They're indicting him on a, on a maybe. All right, let me continue on here. Um, the indictment alleges further that had Mr. Sussman disclosed that he was representing specific clients, it might have prompted the FBI general counsel to ask. And might is italicized here in this filing. For the identity of such clients, which in turn might have prompted further questions and that the FBI might have taken additional, more increased steps before opening or closing an investigation and might have allocated its resources differently or more efficiently or uncovered more complete information about the reliability and provenance of the purported data at issue. First, special counsel should be required to identify the other reasons that it was uh, material. It's unfair to raise the specter of an additional rationale without actually substantiating the claim, and then they um, cite a case. Second, to the extent the indictment alleges that Mr. Sussman purported false uh, statement, his purported false statement was material and misled the FBI, FBI personnel concerning political nature of his work, special counsel should be required to provide detail what that actually means. The indictment, after all, makes clear that both Mr. Baker and the assistant director were aware that Sussman represented the DNC and other high-profile political clients. What was then the political nature of his work that was unknown to the FBI? Special counsel should be required to explain what his work refers to. Third, to the extent the indictment alleges Sussman purported false statement was material because it deprived the FBI of information that might have permitted it to more fully assess and uncover information about the data. Special counsel should be required to provide the detail about why that's the case. As Mr. Baker has testified, he was well aware that Sussman provided, you know, information came from cyber experts. And indeed, Mr. Sussman was not charged with making a false statement about the origin of the information. But um, looking up here on page 14, (laughs) might have, might have, might have. They're like, "You, you got to explain how it would have been. What do you mean might have? And, in, you know, when I went over this indictment on the show, I was like, really, you're going to indict him on a might have on a maybe. <laughs> anyway, I highly recommend you check this out. And it's um, it's the central focus of our fantasy indictment league, because I think it'll be undone. I think they're going to review it in the booth and overturn <laughs> this call. Honestly, I really do. It's just such a weak indictment. It's just so weak. And with that, my picks today include a plea agreement with Tom Barrack, right? Uh, I'm going to go with superseding Trump Org and superseding Weiselberg. I'm going to keep the Calamari and McCani plea agreement in New York. A lot of plea agreements on my team this week. Um that's five so then of course we can do gates um because as as you know his uh joel greenberg sentencing was pushed back again it was supposed to be august 19th then it was november 18th or something like that now it's march of next year (laughs) and gates has hired a bunch of trial lawyers so it's gonna happen i just don't know when I mean, who pays, whose dad pays $15.5 million for a pardon for an innocent person, you know? I mean, I think he ended up wiring him $5.5 million, but I'm not sure of the total amount. It's unclear in the indictment, but it is clear that money was wired. <laughs> All right, so Gates. Greenberg's already cooperating, so I don't think he'll get any superseding. Um, Rodriguez already pleaded. Let's do, uh, let's do... I'm going to put Rudy, Joe, and uh, Tonezig on here. One, two, three, four. Okay, that leaves me one more for a team of ten. Ivanka, let's do it. Let's go big. In Manhattan District Attorney, the Manhattan District Attorney's office, in that investigation. And there's probably something else out there brewing that came out of the Mueller investigation, and one of those behind the redaction bars in Appendix D of the Mueller report there's probably something out there like a Tom Barrack waiting to drop. We'll see what it is. Anyway, that's the show. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back next week, and you can hear me all week, uh, every weekday morning. Drive time, drive time listening, if you're driving anywhere, with uh, the Daily Beans pod. And uh, I hope to uh, to uh, see you there. So please, everyone, until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G., and this is Muller She Wrote. S. W. Okay. Media.